I was glad that it was you. I haven't talked to you in a while. I haven't seen your face and just connected yeah. with each other. You feel, I always feel yeah. a little better after a, an hour. Like I know this will be, so I'm actually grateful. Yeah. You are listening to the Be The Bridge podcast with Latasha Morrison. How are you guys doing today? Each week, Be The Bridge podcast tackles subjects related to race and culture with the goal of bringing understanding. But I'm going to do it in the spirit of love. We believe understanding can move us toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial unity. Latasha Morrison is the founder of Be The Bridge, which is an organization responding to racial brokenness and systemic injustice in our world. This podcast is an extension of our vision to make sure people are no longer conditioned by a racialized society, but grounded in truth. If you have not hit the subscribe button, please do so now. Without further ado, let's begin today's podcast. Oh, and stick around for some important information at the end. Be the Bridge family. I am so excited. Um, I tell you, for such a time as this, that this was even scheduled um, before... Um, all of the things have happened, all the things that ha- are happening in the world, to have Dr. Anita Phillips on the Be The Bridge podcast today. And um, she's a trauma therapist, a life coach, a minister. And that's what I want to hear a lot from today is the minister, um, Dr. Anita Phillips, because I've seen your videos. I've seen your videos. So <laughs> I know, I know. Um, she's an expert in unraveling the human experience, known for her paradigm shifting insights as at the intersection of mental health, faith, and culture. Her work is guided by one simple idea. Most, most things that seem complicated are actually just hard. Um, From overthrowing anxiety to reimagining the path to equity, this dynamic speaker helps people, groups, and organizations accomplish hard things. And um, you hold your degree from the University of Maryland and Regent University. And um, you've done your postdoctorate work at John Hopkins um, in the School of Public Health. And so I am just elated to have you on here Uh, my sister my friend I felt like when I met you for the first time I knew you but we have like similar yeah our our Christian experience is similar we both became Christians like you know well you I became a Christian through the organization you were already a Christian but kind of rededicated you know that that thing yeah I had to come on back to Jesus I call it my my grown-up commitment you know that's like I'm an adult and I really mean it now while we were in college where most people kind of f- float mm-hmm. away in college. We were coming back um, to Christ. And yeah. um, so we know a lot of um, the same people and ha- have had that. So just talking to you, um, there's just a familiarity with you. And, um, and it's there easy. Is. It's, it's the it 1973 is. birth. It is. We're the, the same age. Yes. That's a special year. I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm just telling you, year. people try to like <laughs> overlook Gen X. And I'm here to let them know that we are here. We are here. That we are vibrant. Mm-hmm. That basically some of you exist because we are here. Yeah, like, indeed. you know, I mean, we we invented everything. Everything came through Generation X. You know? It really did. I was just <laughs> reflecting on last night um, uh, with talking with my parents. I did an online Bible study with my parents. And uh-huh. I was just reflecting on the fact that we are the first generation of, first of all, black Americans. Mm-hmm. Post the civil rights yes, laws yes. being passed, post 
legal yes. uh, desegregation yep. Yep. <laughs> having happened. And then also as women. Yep. Because women's rights were so much um, wrapped up in the right. civil rights bill. So in 1973, when we were born, I think it was either 73 or 74 that the Fair Credit Act was passed where a woman could get a credit yeah. card or a mortgage yeah. without having a man yeah. have to sign. So as black people, as mm. women, as black women, we're the first generation to have yeah a full set of rights. And this capacity, a full set yeah. of rights as human beings, that is yeah. massive. And it has been a huge mm-hmm. blessing, but also a, yeah. a journey, it's a, a, it it's is. a weighty journey. And so they, yeah. they sleep on us. Because it's the freeing. I think there's a lot to deal. say about the freeing of this generation. But then also to say that mm-hmm. a lot of our parents were traumatized. And very much so. And, and they were we, tired. And we carry that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they were tired. Mm-hmm. And we carry mm-hmm. a lot of that, you know, um, um, dysfunction, you know, within our yep. de- uh, dem- um, demographic and within our generation. And but this generation birthed so much. And, you know, one of the things I I don't I'm just going to kind of let the Lord lead. But one of the things that um, mm-hmm. first conversations I heard you have, you were talking about the power of of music um, in our community and how music has birthed mm-hmm. so much and why um, music, um, when we, we talk about like our joy and our sorrow is wrapped up in blues music. So when I think about the seventies, I think about, you know, this was really the birth of hip hop and we were telling our stories. We were telling yeah. about the in, in, mm-hmm. inequities in our community, the, the underserved communities at that time where, yeah. you know, you had, um, redlining, um, still happening, you know, um, it was oh, still, absolutely. it was still v- very prevalent. Although, you know, I grew up in a red line yeah, neighborhood yeah. in New Jersey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where my grandparents, both of my grandparents lived in a red line yeah. um, um, district. And so we were telling those stories and how this is how the hood would was formed. And that that birthed, you know, a lot of the hip hop R&B and all of those things came out of that. And I just remember you, you know, you were kind of talking about that. And I was just thinking with um, everything that we have going on from um, from the uh, some of the police violence um, with our black and brown brothers and sisters um, from Buffalo mm-hmm. to Texas. It's just all it's like it's really too much to bear. I cannot understand mm-hmm. how to do this apart from from Christ, you know? And then there's some people, you know, I'm reading online, they're like, mm-hmm. how can a loving father allow this to happen, you know? And, and you know, so you have people yeah. that's thinking that way. Yeah. And then you have, you know, some of us leaning into our faith because we cannot withstand the weight of what's happening in the world um, on our own. And then some people using the faith as an excuse, you know, they don't hijack the faith, <laughs> you know, and, um, and making up their own, um, right. Version so and exegesis and all the things, you know, and, um, I, there's this song that mm-hmm. I was just, when I, I'm not a singer, I'm not a singer. God knows y'all know I'm not a singer. <laughs> I can do a lot of things. I can do a lot of things. But I'm not a singer. Sing but anyway. When, I, when things Sing get anyway. difficult for me and Sing all of anyway. this is happening in the midst of, um, you know, writing a book and all those stuff, you know, I go to hymns. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I I've been in I need thee. That's that's. Oh, let's sing that. Let's sing that right now. Let's do it. Let's do it. Come on. Say, I need thee. Come on and make it personal. Say I need. Yes, it's me, God. for nobody else but I've been waiting on this part oh bless bless me now my Savior my In that moment, right, that moment. That moment. Yeah, it just changed everything. God is so good. Oh, yes. You know, we got to do that. We have to sing more. We have to sing more. I'm reminded in this moment of a several years ago. It's been quite a while. Gosh, it's probably been 12 years. I took my daughter to mm-hmm. a summer mm-hmm. camp, a girl summer camp in West mm-hmm. Virginia. I think the town was like Yellowstone, West Virginia. So it wasn't much of us down there. And I dropped my daughter off, but I did not have the confidence to leave her and drive back to Maryland. So I, I stayed in the bed and breakfast a mile from the camp. I, uh, she, she thought not, she was being a big girl and being left at sleepaway camp, but I was just, I was just up the road and I had a convertible car back then. And I was, I, I would drive past the camp at a certain time every day doing horseback riding and duck low, and I, I would see him look, get my eyes on her. I know it's terrible. Uh-huh. Um, but there was a, uh, I had asked about local churches and the, the bed and breakfast owner told uh-huh. me there was a Bible study that went on at lunch at this particular diner one day a week. And I was there for a few weeks uh-huh. and I went down to the Bible study it was all older white <laughs> women and they looked definitely confused slash concerned about my approach to the table. And I sat down and said, you know, hi. And I tried to say, I'm a minister's kid. Mm. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to stay in this. But they had a moment and they Mm. said, well, let's sing. And they started singing a hymn. And I started singing with them. Mm. And everything changed. We need to sing together. We Uh need to sing together. And one of the beautiful things Mm. about the Black Church tradition and, and maybe other traditions as well, but... We used to have devotional service. Mm. And so in devotional service and testimony yes. service, anybody could either just stand up and say what God had done for them that week, or they could yeah. start a song and everybody would join in with the song. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody had to be a great singer. Yeah. This is before the mm-hmm. concert level praise and worship presentations yeah. we get now with lights and smoke machines. And I'm not bad. Foot. I enjoy it. The foot but nobody Tap had to foot. be a great singer. You just started singing. And people would join in with you. You just yeah, tap that foot. Yeah. That's it. And everybody would join in. And somehow, when we're all singing together, yeah. it always sounds amazing. I remember that. I, I said that um, after this um, um, this last shooting, I was like, I just need to go to an old school church where they're going to say, I- I have to reflect on the goodness of God in those moments of chaos and trauma. Um, That's what I think it just clings me to sanity 
you know, and it helps me um, because a lot of times when these things are happening, I as a person and, and right. then my organization, we have to be able to put out. And so it's like you got to be connected in right. order healthy. to put out something mm-hmm. healthy, you know, um, um, for for the community, for 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 the body. And um, me too. And so and I take that real seriously. But sometimes it's like I have to turn it off and then it's like mm-hmm. I have to connect, you know, and music and worship is is yeah. how I, I connect. And so I think that's something in our community as we talk mm-hmm. about trauma you know i know there's there's so many layers that you can talk about that what what um you know i don't even there's so many issues it's, right now and i know you are booked and mm. busy you are booked and busy um i think every trauma therapist probably yeah. um is probably booked and busy now. Uh, what would you advise those who can't see a therapist? They don't have the means to see a therapist. Um, you know, and we know it's like some of these things are beyond praying it away or even singing it away. What are what are some things that people can do that maybe culturally they're not used to going to someone and talking maybe mm-hmm. they don't have the means to they could be in between jobs you know all these different things what are some things that you advise um i advise you to get to um somebody you can touch mm. yeah we really need physical touch yeah. and i think we understand that better than ever mm-hmm. after the isolation mm-hmm. that many people endured during the pandemic especially people who lived alone um or at some distance we have a real dearth of um, non-sexual mm. touch mm. very often mm. in our lives. That a hug that you can lean into mm. for wow. thirty whole seconds or a minute. You know, uh, my kids were home over the holidays, then they stayed about a month, and I know mm-hmm. that they're they're very close, my son and my daughter. But it still blesses me when I see them. My daughter will jump on her mm. brother and lay on them for an hour Mm -hmm. while they watch a TV show or something. And they were sitting there and she had landed on his head and they were just laying there. And I was thinking, I'm so grateful that my children have Mm. non-sexual touch available. We are such a overly sexualized society that we just, we don't Mm. um, cultivate that enough. But people need to be touched. Mm. Hold your friend's hand. Hug somebody mm. for a long time. Go get a hug that's long, yeah. not just a greeting, pat you on the back hug. But we need to be held and and we're not accustomed to doing that. And then if we're not in churches where that's happening, you know, that was another thing about the mm. black church. Boy, we're going to hug some people That's where now. I learned it. We're going to hug some people <laughs> and we're going to hold yeah. on to them and pray over them with our arms around them. And, and that physical touch that is so has true. a huge impact on our mm-hmm. emotional health. Yeah, And so sometimes we just need a really good long hug. I mean, hold the person tight for at least 20 to 30 seconds. That's so good. And when you feel like letting go, squeeze tighter. I need, you see, I need some, see, the Lord got to deliver me in this because I grew up in a family where it, Mm -hmm. we didn't do a lot of hugging. My dad did a lot of hugging, his side of the family. So there was just like this mixed bag, you know, but when I became a Christian, I started like hugging more, especially going to the black church. You, you hug and those awkward Mm -hmm. long hugs, but those awkward long hugs. Now I can appreciate them, but I remember those awkward hugs. There was a lady named Darlene that used to go to our church. She would give them (laughs) big old hugs. Uh And now sometimes you just want 
want to miss Darlene hug, like where you could just melt in the you arms. Do. Uh, my friend yesterday, you I do. saw her, I went to the store and I happened to run into a friend yesterday and her name is Shaletta and she gives good long hugs. And she does it and she means mm-hmm. it with all her being. And she hugged me yesterday and I remember hugging her back yeah. and I was like, you know what? I need to hug more. I need to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Yeah, we do. We do. Do (laughs) it. Now, don't violate anybody's (laughs) space. I'm not suggesting we attack people and violate their boundaries. But right on the other side of that awkward moment, right when you hit that, am I hugging too long? Uh, That's right where it's about to be. The power of the hug is about to break through. uh, If you hold on a little tighter right through that moment, because what I feel like a lot of times, um, if it's a person I'm safe with, a lot of times that awkward moment is the oh, moment where yeah. my real self is about to come up, yeah. where the emotional need for this yeah. hug has just jumped up and been like, oh, are you here for me? And mm. we're, we can be uncomfortable with that because we're so uncomfortable with emotion as a culture. And that is mm. undermining our our mental health, our relational health, our spiritual health is being undermined by how uncomfortable right. we are and how in, um, inarticulate we are and inadequate we are with emotion. And so that awkward moment often mm. is really mm. just, I think that I mm-hmm. am about to get emotional. My body, emotion is moving in my body mm. and am I gonna allow it? And right on the other side of that That's moment, so that good. hug gets real good. And then you feel walk away feeling like, that was the hug I needed. But we don't even bring mm. our need up into the presence of other people. Yeah, We're so used to keeping it down. Um, but we need each other bad right now. We need each other bad. So um, a hug is critical. I encourage people to um, mm. get together in groups. If you can't afford therapy, um, look for a support mm-hmm. group. There are a lot of support groups that are free. Some of them are online. Things are starting to come back in person a little bit. But just being in a room, whether it's a mm-hmm. Zoom room or whatever, with several other mm-hmm. people talking about what you have in common, especially a common pain, is very healing. And one of the reasons right. I think that, well, I think each community has different reasons why they struggle with mental mm. health and therapy and counseling, but everybody has something. Um, in our community, we're very action oriented. Mm-hmm. Action is a high value in the black community. It's a it's a highly mm-hmm. charged value. And so mm. talking is like, well, what, what are we talking about it for? Talking not gonna do anything. Mm-hmm. Like talking and action are not conducive, but mm. you would be surprised. It does do something because it brings us into connection. Mm. It causes our stories to entwine and we gain strength from it. Music, song has always mm. been a tradition of ours, but also storytelling. And so we're tapping into some ancient wisdom of our people when we get together and tell our stories. So there's something right. very healing about that as well. So support groups are almost always free. I've never known one that wasn't free. Just whatever issue you're dealing with, just Google grief support yeah. group, you know, whatever. And um, you may find one online or in person. Um, it can be incredibly healing and it doesn't usually cost anything. So I would encourage people to look for that as well. Yeah, that's one of the things that's come out of our our BIPOC community, which is our Black and Indigenous People of Color group that we have. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of talk that happens in um, listening to one another. And that has been healing for a lot of people who don't have that because they may be in areas where Mm -hmm. they're not around a lot of other people of color. And it's helping us because it's a diverse group Mm -hmm. of people of color. 
um, know each other's stories and be able to sit with yeah. um, others in their pain when it's not necessarily our community right. story. Give people so, the gift of being heard. Yes. One of the things you said, I heard you, um, I think you may have posted this. You said Jesus was about um, was about where he was and how he was Jesus feeling. was always honest so, about where he was and how he was feeling. Yes, yes Jesus was emotional. And, yeah. <laughs> and the culture teaches us differently. It does. And uh, I just want you to talk about that just a little bit, because yeah. when you said that, and I was like, that is so true. And it's like, I, I'm telling you, I think we as Christians, we as America need to spend uh, just a, a year in just the, the, the red letters, just the red letters, just the red, the red letters, letters sis. just the, red, the letters. red letters and any description of what Jesus actually yes. did. I have become more and we both have been writing yeah. and, and the book I just finished the first draft of mine as well is really at core about yeah. emotion. The book really Girl, is at that. core about emotion because listen, if we just, I've become more and more to refer to myself as a follower mm. of Jesus. I, I, I am a Christian. I'm not yeah. disdaining the term Christian, but it reminds me about what yes. who we're supposed to be. Yes, am I following I Jesus? Jesus, um, when I used to teach premarital classes, one of my favorite things to do, um, I would give out a, a, a packet for each person to fill out and, and mm -hmm. we'd assess everybody's wellness. And on the spiritual wellness, I would have two questions mm -hmm. on a scale of one to 10. On a scale of one to 10, how mm. um, strong is your relationship with God? And the next question was on a scale of one to 10, mm. how much do you look like Jesus mm. on a daily basis? And inevitably, the score for how strong the relationship mm -hmm. with God was would be generally higher than the score mm. of how much on a day-to-day -day basis do I look like Jesus. But that's really the key. And so when I'm watching mm -hmm. Jesus, I see Jesus express emotion freely and often mm. with words and with his body. And so I was talking about, but right before I have said that, those words mm -hmm. you saw in the clip, I was talking about Jesus in Gethsemane and how strongly he was he was experiencing emotions. The Bible says that as he went into the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciple, that he was sore amazed in the King James Version. I'm a King James girl. And that means um, heavy with sorrow. He became heavy with sorrow, even unto death. In other words, he was feeling so much emotional pain. He wanted, It felt like he could die right there. And then he has his, his three closest disciples with him and he asked them to pray. He comes out there asleep and he's just like, can you not tarry with me one hour? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He was talking about his own flesh. Jesus had the same flesh and blood body as we do. And I don't think we, we sink into that enough. That word flesh, when he says it, sarks, means flesh and blood, the tissue on bone. So there he had our body. He said, my, that, my body though is weak. And our emotions are inextricable from our body. It's because of our body that we know how we feel. And he goes back and he's praying harder. The Bible says he's in agony. The blood is burst, blood vessels are bursting in his forehead. That is the pressure of fear. 
We have seen in modern science cases of this happen where people are on death row or they're about to face a firing squad, that the fear of that in the body is so intense that blood vessels will burst beneath the skin. So fear was pulsing through Jesus's body. And some people get real offended. Jesus was never fear. I never had fear. First of all, Hebrews 4.15 says that I have not a high priest who cannot be touched by the feelings of my infirmity, not my thoughts, my feelings. And that word infirmities means weakness. So I have not a high priest who cannot be touched by the feelings of my weakest moments, but in every way was also tempted yet without sin. That means no emotion is a sin because if Jesus felt it all and never sinned, then nothing I feel is a sin. And my Bible would not be true if Jesus did not have the experience of human fear or else then he wouldn't have felt everything I felt. And so we see Jesus's human body racked with fear, sadness, frustration when his his, uh, disciples are not hanging with him. All the feelings are there and he's praying and he's praying and he's praying. And he asks God to let this cup pass. Like, Hebrews, oh, chapter five, Hebrews chapter five, I think it may be verse seven says that he went to his father who could save him from death with strong crying and tears. Strong, that word meant loud. He was ugly crying. He wasn't like, oh, Father God, this crucifixion thing seems kind of inconvenient and I'm not really feeling it. If if by chance you could, (laughs) strong crying and tears. We never in any of these moments with Jesus see him rebuke his emotion. We never see him stand up and say, oh, no, I'm not going to feel this. My mind is strong. We don't see any of the stuff that we do. We don't never see Jesus do. He felt right through it. He, He went through the feelings. But here's the thing that is so exciting. When Jesus prayed through and God answered him, Hebrews 5 says that he heard that he was heard and that he feared. Now, when a prayer is heard, that means it's been answered. And so if Jesus was heard and that he feared and he was not excused from the, from the uh, request for the crucifixion, what was heard? And I believe his fear was heard because the Bible says he was heard in that he feared. And God sent an angel to strengthen him. And he lay there in that agony until the fear was removed and he was strong. And he, God ministered to his fear. He didn't rebuke him. He didn't say, you are being weak, Jesus. This is a sin. He sent an angel to minister to him in his most emotional moment. And when that was finished, Jesus stands up and walks out of Gethsemane. And he says, they said, where's Jesus? And he said, I am he. And those soldiers that came to get him were knocked to the ground. Jesus went from sadness, frustration, terror up at the top of the hill walked down that hill and said, I am he and people were slain. So we have to stop believing that our emotional pain is mutually exclusive with our spiritual power. It is not. And our worship of our own minds, that we have to get our minds over this emotion, that's worship. It's pride and pride is America's chief sin. And we have got to lay it down, every single one of us, and be willing to be broken. Jesus never, ever 
rebuked, repressed, rejected his emotion. He cried in front of the tomb of Lazarus, publicly cried, and then raised them from the dead. He flipped tables in the temple angry, and then he healed people miraculously immediately after. Gethsemane, we see that hard moment. And then look, people are slain by his words. And then here's the thing. Jesus doesn't get a once and for all. We all want a once and for all. We want to God take this pain away once and for all, once and for all. He didn't walk out of Gethsemane in that powerful moment and not have another hard moment. At the end of the crucifixion, what does he say? Father, why have you forsaken me? Like he still had another moment. You, your once and for all is it, not realistic. You're going to have other moments and other victories. So Jesus said, why? Why have you forsaken me on that cross? But then he still said into your hands, I commit my spirit. And the temple veil is torn from top to bottom, 30 feet. Every time Jesus's painful emotions came out of his mouth and out of his body, power showed up not long after. And so what I've been teaching everywhere I'm going this year, I've been teaching this that we would have seen Jesus, if it was us, we would have seen that as having a breakdown. I broke down crying. I broke down and asked God why. I broke down and got scared. We would have called it a breakdown, but who would accuse Jesus of having a breakdown? I don't think he was having a breakdown. Jesus was breaking through something. Every time it ended up being a breakthrough, not a breakdown. And maybe you're missing your breakthrough because you're trying so hard not to break down. Baby, go ahead and be like Jesus. Go ahead and be like Jesus. Let the tears flow. Let the tears flow. Ask why. You can, Pastor Tony Evans said this, it is so powerful. You could ask God a question without questioning God. And I feel like that's what Jesus did on the cross. He said, why have you forsaken me? But but still, he had time also to say, Father, forgive them for what they do. And he had time to commit his his Mm. spirit into the hands of God. And power again. And so we have got to allow scripture to renew our minds about our hearts. We have to allow scripture Mm. to change the way we think about how we feel because we are not functioning Mm. the way we were created to function. Mm. Jesus was made in the likeness of men. He showed us how to live this human life and the way he Mm. dealt with emotion and relationships We need to emulate him, but we try so hard to not be emotional. Now, bring this into bringing that into this moment that we're living in right now. And I think it was really just I'm grateful to God that I had the opportunity to share that um, just this week Mm. because we need the message Mm. so badly. Buffalo barely had even not even begun to recover. I was still had never posted about it. I just, it was yeah. carrying it. It felt too personal. You know, sometimes like we, they say we post certain things, but your super personal life, you keep private. It felt so personal to me. Mm. I couldn't even say anything. And mm. then, um, yeah. you know, other things were going on. The shooting in Laguna Hills, the shooting in um, yeah. uh, Dallas in yeah. Korean salons in Dallas and all over, all over this country. And then Uvalde happened and uh, people were saying, yeah after Uvalde, the night, that night and yesterday morning, um, people were asking like, do I send my kids to school tomorrow? I, I, don't, I don't feel like I can send my school, kids to school. And then other people were like, well, I, I can't live in fear. You can't live in fear. You gotta do this. And I thought to myself, why are we rushing this? And I posted, mm-hmm. if you wanna keep your kids mm-hmm. home 
and eat ice cream and pancakes and mm. curl up on the, on the sofa all day with them, do it. That's a valid choice. Keep your kids and home. if you choose to send them to school, fine. But please, mm-hmm. what I what hurt me was the idea that people yeah. were sending kids to school. And if the kids were scared, if they were nervous, if they were anxious and they're like, can't live in fear, go to school. That's not an emotionally healthy lesson. We we are teaching our children from birth. We mostly have been taught from birth to push through mm. emotion, push mm. past emotion. Don't listen. Step over it. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what Jesus did. Why don't I teach my child how we walk through this? Mm. Because mm. there's power on the other side of walking through it. I have to be human. I mm. am a human being. And being a Christian doesn't make me superhuman. I still have all these feelings. And so... We underestimate the power of our emotion and the fact that when we're together, our emotions and our bodies begin to heal when we're in each other's company, when we lean on each other, when we talk to each other. And so if a family decided to stay home the day after a school shooting and be close to each other, the next day it might not feel as traumatic to the child to leave because they got filled up with what they needed. Instead of telling them, Mm. no, force past your need and go to school. That's not emotionally healthy. Now, Mm. I think that there's a darker side to this. Mm. And I really just thought about this yesterday. Of course, we hear everybody's ready to the gun issue is up. And those politicians who have longstanding commitments to Mm -hmm. um, guns availability and their reasons for that. I see that as another, mm-hmm. yeah, I see that as another manifestation it. of our commitment to not feel. Because mm. if we felt as a mm. nation, if we really had the capacity to mm. sit in painful emotions, there's no way you could rush past this and start mm. talking about the defense of AR-15s. And so it's just as dangerous. Yeah. This yeah. this unwillingness to feel is dangerous on every level. Mm. It, and yeah. if I engage yeah. it, yeah. I am supporting a cultural experience and perspective that also keeps AR-15s available to 18-year-olds. Yeah. where uh, I'm a part of it. Yeah. 18-year-olds. Yeah. I'm where a part uh, of it, though. If I yeah. refuse my emotion, and if I teach my children yeah. to refuse theirs, I'm a part of a larger mm. cultural conversation that allows for these massacres. We all have to look mm. at that. And does that make sense? What I'm uh, saying? Because yes, it does. I mean, it makes so much sense. It ain't complicated. And what is that? It's It's not that complicated because I'm thinking like we know the frontal lobes are not, you know, evolved, like are not developed. We know that that so that's why we have a a, a age limit with alcohol. I mean, you can't even rent a car in most states. You can't buy a beer. You know, you can't rent a car, but you can have an AR fifteen. Says, come on, this is not okay. And the fact that we won't even listen, like the fact that we won't listen to people when majority of Americans. believe that you know at least some restriction back background check some of that is warrant i'm like an 18 year old buying an ar-15 like that is a killing machine 
You know, it makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. It, right. It was created for no other purpose. It was created for no other purpose than kill a lot of people quickly. Yeah. But these are not the problem is, and uh-huh. we have the same problem with, excuse uh-huh. me, talking about police violence, systemic racism, sexism, all of these things, is that yes. we're having debates and we're trying to exchange statistics and information. But hearts. Yeah. Hearts are hard. Are hard. Yeah. Hearts are hardened. And all of our lives really are being fed by what's happening in our hearts. That's where the challenge is. And so if I am more emotionally moved by X than Y, it doesn't matter how much you argue about X or Y, where my heart is, my treasure and my heart in the same place. And so what do we treasure? And this, again, back to Jesus, this is what breaks my heart for Christians in the body of Christ. Uh. The defense of what I am individually entitled to Uh. could not be more antithetical to the way of Jesus. uh. Our Religion Mm. was established by the ultimate act Mm. of self-sacrifice. Compassion. (laughs) That is the crux of our faith. Our willingness to sacrifice for someone else. And Mm. Jesus died. Mm. Just Jesus allowed someone, allowed a group of people to beat him to death in public Mm. for us. Self-sacrifice. And so I think we have to be very careful. And I challenge myself always, am I willing to sacrifice this or this? I think we have to be very careful to look at how our lives are reflecting the life of Jesus. Yes, we have an individual right in this Mm -hmm. country to bear arms, although I don't know that it is often in an organized militia, which is part of that. I constitutional statement where I don't, where's the organized militia? Is it just a militia of one? I don't see a whole lot of that, but okay. Okay. I'm I'm about to say it in a minute what it is. But, 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 but but, yeah, but I'm not willing to sacrifice and in some portion, some portion of my individual right for the life of another person, but I'm a Christian, a religion established by the sacrifice of a person for all of our lives. I, it, it, there's just, I'm sorry, but there's no match. There's no match. And so, yeah, <laughs> every yeah. argument. We could take this back to every argument, you know, for everything, even just litter, just mass, a piece of mass on your face. Again, like, self-sacrifice. You know? <laughs> even, if, even if you thought it was wrong, I said, well, fine. Then you I, know. consider me your weaker member. I'm wearing a mask. Consider me your weaker member. The Bible said for the, the don't, if me yeah. offend my weaker brother, don't eat. I'm weak. <laughs> so help me out. Make me the weaker brother. Yeah. Whatever it is, yeah. we are always required to lay something <laughs> down for other people. And we are not. Yes. No matter what it is, we are always required to lay something down for other people. Mm. That is the crux yes. of the Christian faith. And I don't think the lay down that should be required is for children to lay down their lives so you can keep your individual rights. Say that again. Say that again. And at this point, Mm. the children are the martyrs in that fight. 
And we don't even have to get into discussing the value of other lives and how different lives are not valued. You know, I just, I looked up, uh, believe it or not, I almost, the closest I came to posting about Buffalo was going to be about guns Mm -hmm. and not race. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I always think about how Dr. King talked about until we can change hearts, we have to legislate lives. Right. Yes. Because exactly. until I, I can change your heart from wanting to kill yeah. me, I need to make I can't keep you from I need to me. make it illegal for you to. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <And> so <laughs> I, I thought about that with Buffalo. I said, I, we're we're a long way on this fight for for racial um, unity. But, man, I, I didn't need that 18 year old to be able to buy an AR-15. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and we saw the shooting in California. But that gentleman came in with two handguns. If he had come in with an AR-15 more than one person would have likely died and every life matters. And so we are at the intersection of a number of of, um, difficult problems that come together, but we can solve some more quickly than others. And we need to, and I don't appreciate, and then we'll get where you're going, but I just Mm want to say this, I don't, we're not going to allow mental health to be the be the dumping exactly. ground for this. We're Say not going to allow mental illness to be the mm-hmm. landfill where you throw all of this. That is not going to be the case. And you're not doing anything people, about mental health and either. Not, and also not doing anything about mental health. But here's the facts. People who have a, a serious mental, what would be considered a serious mental illness, commit violence at a rate of, I think, about 2 to 3%. And when they do, it is not usually really related to the mental illness. It's related to the same things that cause violence in the general population. Um, Growing Mm -hmm. up exposed to a lot of violence, um, drug addiction, being under the influence, uh, radicalization, the same things affect people with mental illness and not mental illness. Mental illness is not the chief cause by far Mm -hmm. of this type of violence. And so even if we background check every single person and we limit anybody who's ever been diagnosed with a mental illness from buying a gun, Mm -hmm. um, that Mm -hmm. will actually not solve this problem. It will, it will criminalize a group of people Mm. who are not overall responsible for Mm. this problem. Mm. Uh, that's not the issue. And so Yes, it does. I think that it is important. I think it matters. I think we have sometimes seen people who were clearly um, mentally ill commit crimes. I think that the subway shooter in New York from a few weeks Mm -hmm. ago may be a very good example of that from the distance that I can judge, um, who seemed to have a mental illness Mm -hmm. that was causing some distortion and detachment from reality. Mm -hmm. You know, that's been rare, but we're seeing clear reality orientation in these Mm. shooters. And so I need us to to roll back on that. Um, if we are going to try and intervene from a mental health perspective, mm-hmm. particularly with young people like this, um, the last couple of shooters, the Sandy Hook shooter, the Columbine shooter, the school shooters tend to be young. Um, and yes, many of yes. the shooters on the city street corner yes. in the gang infested neighborhood are also young. Mm-hmm. And they are also young. And they are also traumatized from growing up in a violent space and so we want to talk about mental health and mental illness let's not just talk about it when you know certain people are ill um but but if we're going to use mental health as an avenue to prevent this type of thing and i think we should yes we need one to two to three to four mental health professionals in every school building 
in every school building. And right now, I think that I, someone recently told me, don't quote me on this, but it's something like maybe five uh, mental health mm. professionals, um, yeah. crisis counselors were available for the entire Buffalo, New York school system of like 35,000 kids or something crazy mm-hmm. like that. If there, we need a mental health professional in every school proportionate to the size of that school. I did hear them mention that this young mm-hmm. man who killed these children and these teachers in Uvalde um, was a known yeah. loner, no friends, no relationships, no affiliates. So was there was there a yeah. licensed mental health professional trained, specialized yeah. work with teenagers right. in his school who saw him walking down the hall alone all the time? I'm going to gamble some high money that the answer is no. And so if we want to do this, building another mental health hospital is not the answer. Or locking the doors, like keeping the kids in, right, locking right. the doors because you we, think that's going to keep people out. Right. You know, are arming teachers. But like you said, a solution is making sure there are counselors and therapists that can catch in some the of these situations. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Every one of the um, these young shooters are often have a similar description mm-hmm. of how they were doing socially and emotionally. Uh-huh. And so I went to a very small high school, 86 kids in my uh-huh. graduating class, less than 400 kids in the high school building. All the guidance counselors knew yeah. all of us. And um, I think we need that. And so that means a large school needs 10 and a small school needs one. But we need to have mental health providers in school seeing. And that's the budget that they're cutting. And that's what I'm saying. You guys are you guys are talking out. But that's the budget that they're cutting. That's the budget that they're cutting in schools across and, and there's so many other potential buffaloes and you've all these like there's so many. I was just talking to my cousin who's a nurse in Lumberton, North Carolina, and she was just saying that how there's hardly any like trauma yep. therapists available except for online in that community. Um, you know, so I no telling yes. about the school system. So you have a lot of underserved areas, rural areas that are dealing with this right. and we're seeing this, but then we want right. to blame it on mental illness, but still not pass any legislation policy right. or give money <laughs> towards any of those issues. It's a scapegoat. It's a scapegoat, you know. Right. And because we don't yeah. like to prevent. We yeah. like to respond, but we don't like to prevent. We don't like to prevent. But let me tell you, I'm mm-hmm. a, I, I want to name it because I'm going to yeah. tell you, like, I, I, I feel like we have to name name it. And, you know, as Brenda Salter McNeil says, you got to call a thing a thing. And sometimes people don't want to call a thing a thing. But I'm going to tell you um, all of this, like like when when we when we look at this, the crux of this, this even goes back to white supremacy. Yeah. And we cannot separate this because I, I, I believe that white supremacy separates you from God, you know, that they, they cannot exist together. So I I really feel, so it makes you ignorant, you know, it makes you apathetic, It does, you know? And so the very thing that you should be displaying as a Christian is that of compassion, that of empathy, um, that of, that of transformation, um, you know, that of renewal, self sacrifice, and self-sacrifice, yes. it's going yes. to cost you. It costs mm. Jesus, and it's going to cost us to make the mm. transformations in the world. If we're exactly. coming up with plans that don't cost us, we don't have a plan. 
let me tell you this. Yes. I, I the health insurance as a, as a goal. I believe that we yeah. should have universal health care. I believe every single person. I believe yeah. health care is a right. You mentioned them when you read my bio. I did my postdoc in public health. I'm a health person. I believe everybody should mm-hmm. have health care. Over the years, God has blessed me. I, I earn more now than I yes. did when I was 21. And there was <laughs> right. a term right. where the taxes got a little yeah. scary. And you like, how much you want? What you yeah. say? How much? Wait a minute. <laughs> when I just thought I started making some money just now and you're just going to take all of it back? You're just going to take it back? You know, it was a little stressful. That's a little stressful. Um, and I realized, and I remember having this conversation with my husband and saying, you know what, though, when it comes to universal health insurance, I am willing to pay for it. It's going to raise my taxes and I'm willing to pay yes. for it because yeah. I believe it matters. It's not just, oh, those people in Washington should make it happen. I understand it's going to show up on my tax bill. And I accept that because how can I say I believe people should have it? How can I say that I don't want a, an, an elderly yes. person dying on a mattress in their house because they couldn't get the medicine they needed? How can I say yeah. how can I say that? And I'm not willing to pay for it. So I'm, I'm willing to pay for it and mm. I don't complain about it when it's available. I will pay for it because I believe in it. Yes. We have to stop making plans that don't involve sacrifice. And historically yes. in the racial fight, the sacrifice has always been on the people of color. But I need my yeah. white brothers and sisters to create plans that involve self-sacrifice and stop this. Mm. I need everything to change without it having mm-hmm. any impact on me as mm-hmm. a Christian, as mm-hmm. a Christian. I'm not allowed Mm -hmm. to take that stance. So I think about um, Jamar Tisby, what he's doing right now with his college. And he posted something so powerful yesterday or today saying that there's, they're going harder against CRT than saving yes. children. And I it's mean, like, banning books, everything. Right. And so, but I mean, banning I mean created no legislation. Solution. Created legislation. To ban um, it. And the last administration also created legislation to ban DEI in public, like, colleges, anybody that was see- receiving federal funds. Did that within within a few months. With no other solution. Here's my thing. You don't like CRT? Okay, fine. First of all, explain why you don't like it. You don't like it. Yeah. We don't care for this perspective, but we are going to address racism this way. Exactly. This is what we're gonna do. No. We're just, but there's not that, and and that part. If I, that's the challenge, I'm leveling to anybody who's listening right now. If you are, if you were like, yes, they should have taken CRT out of that school. First of all, I want you to check your body. Where are you emotionally as you're listening? Mm. Is your jaw tight? Mm. Are you are you clenching your hands? Is your stomach tight? What is your body telling me about how you feel emotionally? Because once that emotional defensiveness is up, you think you're listening with your mind, but you're not. Those seeds are falling by the wayside and birds are taking them. Parable of the sower, Matthew 13. The, you're not understanding with your heart. Jesus always said, when they, if they hear with their ears and understand with their hearts, that was not just a saying. We have to be emotionally open to new understanding. And I will pour it out until the cows come home. If I am dealing with someone or some people who, who are looking to hear me, I, people say, teach me. I will teach you all day, but I will not spend an hour trying to convince you. And there's a difference between asking to be taught and asking to be convinced. Mm. And when we are in that convince me stance, Mm. 
all the questions become vain questions. And the Bible tells me not to entertain vain questions. Mm. You're listening. You're giving me a question with your mouth, but I'm listening for the heart. And so I'm going to ask you if this is challenging to you and you're listening, I want to ask you to name how you feel emotionally. Are you feeling defensive? Are you feeling attacked? Are you feeling like I'm trying to make you feel guilty? And because all of Mm. those emotions stop us from hearing with our hearts. Lay it down. It's fine. If, if, if you have studied yeah. CRT, Most of, nobody goodness, knew what I was. was. Grad school before I even heard it's, not it's, not like, it's, it's not an elementary. It's not an elementary. This is not an yes. elementary school topic. This yes, is like, yes. This is law school like level, right? I was working on my PhD when I encountered CRT for the first time. This is high level academic conversation. But if, if you've studied it and you found what your problem is with it, then state that clearly and then say, but yes. we are going to address the evils of racism and this is how we're going to do it. And this is the sacrifices that we're willing to make to solve this problem. If there's no solution and it's only shutting down and pushing away, and especially if the solution doesn't involve sacrifice, then I have a problem with that because I believe my Bible mm-hmm. says something about why worry about yes, the fact yes. that you suffer if you did something wrong. You're not godly until you're suffering for something good. So yeah, I'm not saying that it's your fault every white person of what happened in the past, but you Uh have the opportunity to sacrifice something now that will reap a reward. And so I'm willing to sacrifice to see everybody have health insurance. And I think that maybe I asked somebody this once who was a staunch, you know, all access gun supporter. If I knocked on your door right now and I could tell you with assurance that if you agreed that nobody could have an AR-15, just an AR-15, that 10 children will live next month. Would you Would you agree with me? If I could tell you that 100%. And he said, of course. Yeah. Well, we really can tell you that 100%. Right, right. And, other, and other countries <laughs> can tell you that too. I, I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. I promise you that just that, just being able to get weapons out of the hands of civilians that can kill that many people that fast, that we will save lives. Yeah. And even one yeah. life yeah. should be worth it. Yeah. But it will cost you something. And honestly, from my perspective, it's not a high cost, but I understand mm. that from others' perspective, it is a high cost, but I'm still asking you to yeah. pay it. I'm asking you yeah. to sacrifice because it's the way of Jesus. It it's not us. our fault, but it is all of our responsibility. Our responsibility. And, um, you know, and it's costly and it's sacrificial it's sacrificial sacrificial living and i mean i just i i don't understand it and i really think there's like spiritual blindness where the fact where people will argue you down and like you said like i'm not trying to convince any i can't convince people like that's heart transformation I can't I, I don't de- I, can't, I don't debate I can't. it's just like not a good use of my gifts and time <laughs> It's not, it's not, but it's uh-huh. not, you know what? I hear you on spiritual blindness, but it is mm, actually mm. emotional. Blindness. I get it. Yes. It yes. is back to the heart. It's back to the heart. Again, Matthew uh-huh. 13, parable of the sower. A sower goes out to sow uh-huh. in any, in any field that you have, any garden, uh-huh. any field, there's going to be different uh-huh. grades of soil in different parts of that one field. 
and some seeds fall by the wayside and the birds come and eat them up. That wayside soil is hard. It doesn't mm. have the moisture to absorb the seed. It's hard. And mm-hmm. so we can't do anything. Then we have the sandy soil. They receive the word with joy. It mm. springs up. They get offended. That word offended, that's a form of anger. And mm. then we see the thorny mm. ground. Thorns represent the cares and anxieties mm. of this world. It's a form of fear. So not only is Jesus telling us that the heart condition will impact what happens to the spirit that falls upon it because the seed is the seed of the spirit. It's the words of the kingdom. It's a spiritual representation. And so our hearts are so valuable Mm. to God that that's where he puts the seeds of the word. That's where he sows the spirit. Mm. But Jesus differentiates between those soil types using Mm. emotion words, joy, offense, anxieties, cares. He's Mm. saying these emotions are not sins, but they will Mm. impact if you allow them to stay so yes. long that they change the texture yes. of your heart. That's yes. why Jesus always let his emotions flow through. Because when you hold that stuff, it changes the texture mm-hmm. of your heart. That when the seed of the word, a seed of mm. truth, spiritual truth is sown mm. on it, your heart state will impact the trajectory of your spiritual life. Period. That's what mm. that is teaching us. And some people say, no, no, that's about sin yeah. and who's going to go to heaven and hell. It does not say that. Later in Matthew 13, there's a parable mm-hmm. about that. And Jesus is very clear about some are going to be cast out. It's a dragnet story about the fish coming in. That's very clear. Jesus mm-hmm. says that. But he does right. not explicitly say that in Matthew 13 about this. There's multiple layers to these parables. Mm-hmm. It's not just one thing. And there is a lesson in this parable about the relationship between my heart mm-hmm. and my spirit. Paul mm-hmm. also goes on to say that if we believe with mm-hmm. God and confess with our um, confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts, Lord Jesus, we receive mm-hmm. him into our hearts. That word heart in that verse is cardia in the Greek, K-A-R-D-I-A. Mm-hmm. It refers to the literal human heart, but it also mm-hmm. is known to mean the seat of spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Your heart is the seat of your spiritual life and your emotional mm-hmm. state a sustained Uh. state will impact the trajectory of your spiritual life. It will impact Mm. what seeds take root and which words don't. Mm. And if all of the seeds that are able to take Mm. root in your heart come from one perspective, you are not Mm -hmm. eating the whole word as we're instructed. You're not taking the whole word. You're just taking the part that you like, but we're not allowed to do that. I'll give you an example, death penalty. I don't believe in the death penalty. I think that that is just as an important aspect of of mm. life being sacred as anything so else. So good. You, you say it again. Say, say it again. Before, say it again. We have to be careful that we're saying life is sacred, mm. not innocence is sacred. Innocence. Mm. Because very often I have Christians and brothers and sisters who are fighting for life, but actually are fighting for innocence. Because I value the innocent life more than the guilty life. But Jesus said we was all guilty. I'm pretty sure, again, our faith says that we were all so guilty, stained with sin, deep within, stained with sin, that we needed a fountain of his blood to wash us and that he took what we deserved. I've been hearing that all my life, but do you really believe you deserved what Jesus took? Do you really believe that? Were you really that guilty? Because if you really believe that you were so guilty of sin, that you needed Jesus to be murdered on your behalf, and he did that to save you from death, I don't know that I have the right 
to kill anybody, even guilty people. And I'm pretty sure that Jesus disrupted an execution. A woman accused of adultery about to be stoned to death, legally stoned based on Moses's law. But Jesus said, no, he who's without sin cast the first stone. He didn't say he who is without worse sin or he whose sin is not as bad, you can stone them. He said, if you have any kind of sin, you can't cast this on because sinfulness, our fallen nature, limits us too much. We are not holy enough to determine who dies. It's not, we don't, we can't do it. And every time we do this, we are recommitting the original sin that we would have knowledge of good and evil like God. That's what messed us up in the first place. And we're still doing it. And we're still worshiping our minds and we're still trying to be like God. And all he's trying to do is get to your heart and you are insisting that your mind That's why we love that scripture. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. But then you don't finish the verse. Who thought it not robbery to make himself a human sacrifice? Jesus only is recorded using the word mind once in all the gospels. And that was in the scripture where he says, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart and with all your strength and with all your soul and with all your mind. And mind is always last on the list. In each of the three synoptic (laughs) gospels, Jesus is quoted as saying that, which means it's one instance that he used the word mind. Jesus was heart, 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 Mm. heart. And so while we rush to the Pauline letters, and I love Paul, I believe we have some personality traits in common. Paul Mm -hmm. is my dude, love him to death wrote two thirds of the New Testament, but we run to scriptures that Paul has Mm. written about the mind, but that's before we actually get the heart of Jesus. And I believe Paul said this in the word and he would say it now. Did did Paul die for you? Mm. Did Apollos die for you? Jesus died for you. Until you get Jesus's heart, you're not ready for Paul's mind work. I need you to get through the gospels before you get to the letters. We, we, we ain't... We ain't even lived the Gospels yet. We ain't even lived the Gospels yet. And so Mm. when it comes to that issue with the death penalty, it's not an easy belief for me to hold all the time that we should not have the death penalty. When I think about the crimes they've committed, when I imagine if something happened to someone I loved, I would Mm. want them to die. Anita would say, flip the switch. Anita would say they deserve that. But guess what? I am supposed to be crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not me, but Christ who lives Mm -hmm. in me. So I'm not, I'm not allowed Mm -hmm. to feel that way. And so I have to sit when I have those moments, I sit in God's presence. God continue to change my heart, make me more like Jesus because Mm -hmm. Jesus disrupted an execution. So even though I feel like it's okay in my humanness, Mm -hmm. I'll deal with that feeling and ask God to heal my heart Mm -hmm. and make me more like Jesus because Jesus said no. So yes, even when I don't yes. necessarily as a human in my flesh, immediately we have agree. to live it. I have mm-hmm. to agree with Jesus. And so yeah. I stand against the death penalty because I choose to agree. Even when I'm angry, Jesus, you know, and not because sometimes yeah. I don't feel like they mm-hmm. deserve it. And that's what I want to say. This is not I'm mm-hmm. not just slinging this out. I'm 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 slugging this word out, too. But but it, because Jesus did it, mm-hmm. I got to do it. Even on the day I don't feel like doing mm. it. And so that's a self-sacrifice. Mm. That's a self-sacrifice. Yes. Even when I'm angry, 
even when I'm looking down, mm. even when I'm thinking that person is inhuman and they mm. deserve to die. Jesus said that I did. The Bible says that I did, but Jesus mm. did instead. And I can't receive that kind mm. of love without offering it back to someone else. And so yes. we have got to get more in touch with mm. where we are emotionally, because that is the seat of our, the heart is the seat of the spirit. Mm. And so when that seed goes yeah. into the soil, does my heart have what that seed needs to thrive? Because you can plant a seed in the ground mm. and that seed never mm. grow because it has to be watered by the soil and held by the soil has the root somewhere. And mm. is my heart fertile ground for some things of God, mm. but not fertile ground for this? Because yeah. my it's not fertile yeah. ground because my individual rights, my my heart's fertile for individual rights, but it's not fertile for self-sacrifice. Is my heart fertile for what it will cost to show the world what the body looks like? The health insurance thing is easy for me. The death penalty stuff, not as much easy for me, but easy isn't the issue. It's not yeah. complicated. Yeah. It's just hard. And that self-sacrifice, oh my Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, y'all. I'm like, that is a full word right here. I mean, I, I mean, look, I mean, the only, I, I just feel like saying hallelujah, cause, cause, oh my God, that is a full word. Thank you, thank you, God, thank you. I mean, better. it's like this. It's like we need to reconnect. We need to reconnect. We do. We mm. do. Oh to my our hearts. Oh my what is happening in our hearts? What is happening in our hearts? What yes. needs to be changed? What needs to be washed out? What needs to be watered? Mm. What needs to be healed? Because when the seed of the word falls mm. on my heart, I want it to take root. Ooh. I want to. Ha- I want to meet. I want to meet that. You know. I want to meet that, and that's yes. the challenge. And like I said earlier, it's a cultural thread. Whether it that because we yeah. have people who can because we're so used to getting out of our emotions, skipping our emotions, mm. where yeah. if people really had to sit. We don't want to sit with what just happened yesterday. We don't want to lament. I don't see how we could. We don't want to sit with our emotions. Mm-mm. We want out. I can't live in fear. We don't want to lament. We don't want to feel it, and um, we need to feel it because, yeah, I am personally. Um, acquainted mm-hmm. with a mm-hmm. parent of a Sandy Hook mm-hmm. child who died in Sandy Hook. Mm. And to listen to that parent talk, it's changed me. And mm-hmm. I and I was a struck, I, I think that I, we were all devastated yeah. by Sandy Hook. The fact that we're here 10 years later with this eerie similarity a decade later is horrifying. Gosh, but man, yes. listening to that parent talk, yeah, yeah, has changed me even more. Like I thought I was hurt about it, but no, I'm really hurt about it. But yeah. to be willing to sit and listen, you know what I mean? We're trying to move yeah. away too fast, and even in our talks about self care as mental health professionals, like, hey, it's okay, unplug, do this, do this, and it's like sometimes I do need to do that because I am very overwhelmed. Um, but sometimes we don't need to unplug so fast. Yeah. Sometimes it's, a, it's an excuse we, not to feel. 
and not to feel that mm-hmm. and because you know that's over there and that's an excuse not to feel that but when we stop feeling we do stop acting mm. we're always acting out of our emotions no matter what mm. we're doing even our inaction is an action it just depends on what's happening to us emotionally we are always feeling all the time 24 7 no matter how aware or unaware of it you are you're always feeling and this is a biological reality i don't yeah. get too far off but no, this is good. Go ahead. This is a biological <laughs> yeah. reality. Our hearts, our biological hearts are so powerful. On our own hearts, there are people who know what a neuron is. A neuron is, people will say it's a brain cell, mm-hmm. but it's actually a nervous system cell. Your brain is part of your nervous system. And together, many neurons firing in sequence mm-hmm. and at once create a thought. We have 40,000 neurons clustered Mm. together on our hearts (sighs) our biological heart has neurons on it forty thousand of them and the Mm. heart sends more information to the Mm. brain than the brain does to the heart so it is a cycle heart brain heart brain brain Mm. heart heart brain brain heart but it starts with the heart and our heart sends more information to our brains than our brain sent to our hearts there's even a chemical that our heart produces Mm. that our brain needs for cognitive Mm. function that particular chemical is produced in the heart and then sent to the brain so when the bible talks so much about the thoughts of the heart and the condition of the heart Mm. we have to realize god knew what he was saying Mm. when he made our bodies and so if the Bible is mm. constantly talking about the heart, it has to be true everywhere else. But it is a biological reality. Mm-hmm. Just in the last couple of decades, it's become clear. And they call it the heart-brain connection. Yes. But your heart yes. actually responds to emotion. It changes its rhythms. Everybody mm. knows that with emotion. But it sends more information in to the heart. brain than the brain gets. Mm. And so all of our thinking actually begins really in our hearts. And so the Bible is very literal there. If you want to look at it in scripture, I tell you, go to King James. Now, I say right, go to the right. King James She loves love that KJV. K- K- from there, you can go and K- look K- at your original Hebrew words, your original Greek words. And, and uh-huh. I do. I do. And I tell you why I love it. I do. I do. Well, first of all, I was raised on it. And I memorized my childhood scriptures in it. Mm-hmm. But the mm-hmm. reason that I love it so much yeah. is that when I was a doctoral student and God began to give me this revelation about mental health that, that you all are just hearing now, but it's this 2004 mm. when God started pouring this stuff into me. I saw revelation in the garden, in plants. Mm. And God took me to Romans mm. one twenty. That which may be known of mm. him is clearly seen being understood by the things that he made Mm -hmm. that scripture floored me you mean i can learn things about god by looking at stuff he made like are you serious i so i took that very seriously and so i went to genesis to Mm -hmm. start reading about what he made holy spirit told me just read the king james version read your bible Bible. 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 go to the donors table if you'd like to hear the unedited version of this podcast Thanks for listening to the Be The Bridge podcast. To find out more about the Be The Bridge organization and or to become a bridge builder in your community, go to bethebridge.com. Again, that's bethebridge.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, remember to rate and review it on this platform and share it with as many people as you possibly can. 
You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's show was edited, recorded, and produced by Trayvon Potts at Integrated Entertainment Studios in Metro Atlanta, Georgia. The host and executive producer is Latasha Morrison. Lauren C. Brown is the senior producer. And transcribed by Sarah Conitzer. Please join us next time. This has been a Be The Bridge production. <laughs>